right, thanks. Have a seat. Well, 2020 um, has been a very uh, challenging year uh, for everyone. Uh, it has involved a year of a lot of changes. Uh, it's a year that's uh, involved a lot of challenges. Uh, we've watched as uh, everything from school events to job to shopping to church, we've had to kind of stop and rethink everything. And I uh, don't see it ending anytime very soon. I think it's going to kind of be the way forward for at least a little while. It's been said often that you don't realize what you have until it's gone. And I think that's kind of been a lesson that we've learned uh, in this past year is that all of a sudden we've had things change or things that have been taken away and we've started to realize really how much we, we miss them. And we've also started to realize some things we just really didn't need to be doing. And so in, in some ways it has been good for us as we have tried to navigate uh, the future and, and our plans and, and how we look at things. But one of the things that kind of has struck me is the idea that as I listen to people talk about their plans and things like that, I'm watching a lot of people cancel stuff. And, and you, you, you know how this goes. I mean, my wife and I, we have, a, we have a, already set up the trips that we're going to take actually all the way through next summer. And behind every one of them is an asterisk about, you know, depending on uh, what happens. And so I got to thinking, and this is kind of the topic I want to tackle for at least the next couple of weeks, is this idea of what if there were no Christmas? I mean, what if there's no Christmas? What if, how, how, how would it impact us? How would it change things? Because, you know, I mean, the reality of it is we have a lot of people that for Thanksgiving, just kind of canceled Thanksgiving altogether, and it was just another normal day. What is it about the Christmas story that if we just had no Christmas, or if it wasn't part of it, how would life be different? And so it's going to force us to go back to the Christmas story and ask us what, and ask the question, what's the Christmas story really all about? What's essential to the Christmas story and what things do we need to make sure that we implement if we're going to focus on the Christmas story? So this morning, I'm going to take that concept, that idea, and I'm going to, we're going to do it again next week and, and look, at, look at it all the way up through Christmas. What if there were no Christmas? We're going to focus on one thing this morning, and that's this idea. If there's no Christmas... There's no celebration. There's no Christmas. There's no celebration. And what we want to talk about and what I want to look at this morning is I want you to see the role that celebration plays in the Christmas story. Because this morning, what I want you to understand is fundamental to the idea of Christmas is celebration. It is ingrained in the whole story. And you, if you read the story and you don't understand that, you miss a big part of the story. All right? So with that in mind, I'm going to look at a lot of Scripture. 
but I'm gonna, we're going to bounce around. So I'm going to assume that you know a little bit of the Christmas story. If you don't, read Luke chapter 1 and 2, read Matthew chapter 2. And that will give you, in essence, the Christmas story. So this morning, we're going to start in Luke chapter 1. And here's the first instance we see of celebration. The story is of Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, and Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. And here's what it says. When she, talking about Mary, entered Zacharias' home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby, which would be John the Baptist, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. The very first thing that you see about the Christmas story, the first time Jesus has an interaction with someone else other than Mary and Joseph, is this story. And what you have in this story is you have Mary walking into the room carrying Jesus as a baby, as an unborn baby. You have Elizabeth there who is also pregnant with John the Baptist. And upon hearing the voice of Mary, John the Baptist, as an unborn child, flips. He decides to kick. He decides to jump around in the womb, he responds in celebration in the only thing an unborn child can do, which is kick. And that's what he does. That's the first thing you see. The next thing you see is what Mary does when she's with Elizabeth. And here's what the story says. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. This is known as the Magnificat, is is how they they refer it. That's just Latin. Um, The Latin word actually means to tell out or to enlarge. What happens is Mary sings this song. It's actually the first song that we have mentioned in the New Testament, is Mary's song at this point. So Mary, in reaction to this whole scene, sings. And she sings this incredible song. In that song, here's what happened. Eight times she talks about God. She talks about His faithfulness, His power, His majesty, His awesomeness. She praises God for the fact that First of all, he has chosen her, and then he has chosen to do this for Israel. And so she talks about how great this is. So Mary's response is a celebration in song. Then you have the story going on in Luke, and here's what it says. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them. They were terrified, speaking of shepherds who were gathered on the hillside. The angel said to them, Don't, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. So the next thing we have is we have an angel who now makes the proclamation. And he makes this proclamation to the shepherds. The shepherds are gathered on the hillside. It's night. And he makes this proclamation. Now here's what's interesting about this is when you look at the Jewish sacrificial system, when the Jews made a sacrifice, there was often three trumpet blasts prior to the sacrifice. 
When you look at what the angel actually said, there are three very specific prepositions, which are bold statements right off the bat, and here they are. He says, I bring you good tidings. There is, you will find a, uh, there is born unto you a child, and you will find the child. He makes these three prepositional statements, these three bold statements in the same way that in the temple area, when they made a sacrifice, there were three bold trumpet blasts. And so the angel comes, and again, put yourself in the perspective of these shepherds. I mean, these are guys who, it's night, it's dark, they're on the hillside, and an angel pops up. Let me tell you something. When you see an angel, you don't go, oh, yeah, you think, oh, no. And, and all of a sudden, they're scared. And so it's interesting, the first thing the angel has to say is, okay, whoa, 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 it's okay, guys. You're, you're going to be good. We're going to be good. It's okay. Relax. And he makes this proclamation. Then, notice what happens next. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appears with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. The next thing you know is that this angel is talking to them. Now, all of a sudden, the heavens roll back, and there is a whole bunch of angels. Had to light up the sky like nobody's business. And all of a sudden now, heaven itself celebrates by singing and, and singing this about glory to God in the highest. You can imagine that scene. The next thing you have. So, so let me just walk this through you. So far, here's where we are in the story. You have John the Baptist celebrating. You have Mary celebrating. You have the angels celebrating. You have the angelic host celebrating. Then you have the shepherds. And when the angels left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. <clears throat> and when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the next thing you have is you have these shepherds who have a job. Their job was to take care of the sheep. So they have to take time to find somebody to take care of the sheep. They find somebody to take care of the sheep. They then go and, and literally the text says they search diligently. This wasn't like a, uh, okay, we're going to walk and we're going to know exactly where to go because it's this main. There were a lot of people in the area at the time. So many people that they couldn't find a, a, a place for Jesus. Uh, to, for Mary to even have the child. And so you know the story. They put him in a stable. And so, you know, again, if you're looking for a child, you don't think stable. You don't think manger. You know, you think, okay, let's start asking around town. And again, it wasn't a huge place, but it was a big enough place that, you know, you got to knock on some doors. They finally get there, and they see this baby, and they celebrate, they worship. And then they tell them this story about the angels. And then Mary probably tells them their story. And then the next thing that you know, the, the, the shepherds leave there and they go into town. They go, we got, we got to tell everybody about this. So they celebrate by telling everybody. They spend their time and their energy telling everybody about it. Then in the life of Jesus, you run across something. We don't often talk about this in the story. But as as Jesus starts to get a little bit older, he's probably eight days, something like that old, typically they would go into the, 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 the temple area with the child, 
was kind of a dedication, circumcision kind of thing. And here's what this says. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simon took his arms and praised God. And in Luke chapter 2, you see this incredible prayer that Simeon makes, praising God for the fact that before he died, he got to see this child. And then a little bit later, there's a story of a, of a prophetess by the name of Anna, who also gets to see Jesus. And she's a widowed lady. She's a prophetess. She gets to see Jesus. And she gets to bless him and praise God for him. Then, about a year or so later, maybe up to two years, three wise men come from the east to worship. And it says, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod. Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one that is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And when they actually come to Jesus, we know that it's not the same thing because Jesus, again, don't wreck your manger scenes. But um, when Jesus come, when the Magi come, Jesus is in a house at that point of the story. Uh, because pretty soon after that, he leaves uh, um, to escape the uh, judgment of Herod. So technically, <coughs> your wise men don't belong in the, in the manger. So take them away. Uh, no. I have a manger scene at my house. The three wise men are there. Okay, I, I, I'm okay with that. All right? I don't have to, you know... Tell my children, no, it's wrong biblically. Leave them out. Remove them. You know, cast them out. No, no, it's okay. All right. So here's the deal. All right. Um, so, but later they come, and because they are uh, fairly wealthy, they bring gifts, and they leave gifts for Jesus. And actually, it's what Mary and Joseph are then going to be able to use to take care of the uh, take care of. Uh, Jesus later when they're in Egypt. So that's, that's the story. Okay? That's the whole background of it. So when we talk about it, a uh, couple of things. So as we, as we start to look at the whole thing, here's what I want you to understand. Christmas is about celebration. In this story, you see everything from the youngest, John the Baptist, to the oldest, Simeon and Anna, you see everything from the lowly shepherds all the way to the angelic host, the highest. You see this gamut of everyone who is associated with this story in any way, shape, or form celebrate. So here's my question. How are you going to celebrate? See, one of the things that happens right now is because of this, this, this pandemic thing, one of the things that happens is we have people going, well, you know, I'm just not going to celebrate Christmas this year. Stop. Celebration is essential to the story. I'm not saying it has to be the same way you've always celebrated, but you have to celebrate. That's part of the story. Now, again, some of you, you love this season. Okay, you just, you've been itching to put up the stuff. 
Some of you, you're, 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 you're kind of in, you know, I remember the day that we would go in and we would put lights everywhere. I, I remember, I remember I would take, the only way to get to the peak of my house was I would take my loader and I would take it up as high as I could. And then I took an extension ladder and put it in the bucket and I would lean it up there so I could get all of the lights up to the peak. Oh yeah. I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I, there's, I keep the angels busy, but <laughs> um, so I can remember, I mean, <clears throat> and it was lit up like, <clears throat> not quite like Christmas vacation, but it was close, okay, it was close, and, and so, you know, we had lights everywhere, and then, then as we got older and the kids kind of went away, it kind of wasn't that big a deal anymore to, to put all the lights up, and I was getting a little more nervous getting way at the top of the extension ladder on the bucket because at some point I started to realize that's probably not the smartest thing to do and so now it involves a six-foot step ladder two strands of light a Grinch with a uh the little dog hanging the lights on so that's the extent of the outside stuff we used to do villages for a lot of years we didn't do villages well now that we got grandkids it's a little different so this year when, you know, Gene's like, I don't know if I want to do the village. I'm like, hey, let's do the village. You know, it kind of makes it nice. And so uh, it was kind of like, okay, well, you didn't you do the village. And, and so I said, okay, I'll, I'll get Claire and we'll do the village. <clears throat> so I, I, I would take the stuff out and I said, okay, Claire, you can put it wherever you want it. I had to explain to her, you have to understand, one of the villages I got from my mom, because over the years we would give them the actual Dickens village stuff. And so we would buy things that were related to them and to us. So my village consists of a church, a flower shop, because my mom liked flowers, a golf course shop, because my dad liked golf, a barn, because we liked barn, and an old farmhouse that looked like our house. That's our village, okay? And so Claire put the barn next to the church. And I, at that honey... I don't know that, but again, you know, you, you, you toy with that five-year-old thing. You know, she said, the golf course went next to the church. I got that, okay? <laughs> that made perfect sense to me. But the barn next to the church, eh. so anyway, so then she put the flower shop next to the church so that when you, get, when you go to church, you get flowers after church for, for, for your, your, your husband, I guess. I don't know. We didn't get that far. Uh, and then, so we have the, but anyway, so, so we have this village thing all set up now. And I just started to realize this, you know what, when you, when, when you have that, those little kids again, it kind of brings a different perspective to Christmas again. And there's the reality of it. Shouldn't we have that perspective whether little kids are around or not? I mean, are we not celebrating the Savior's birth? In whatever way you do that. And I want to challenge you because this year in particular, there is a great tendency to back away from some of this. I read an interesting article a couple of weeks ago that talked about the value of ritual. And it talked about how as human beings, we are hardwired for rituals. And if you'll think about it for a minute, that's one of the things that's been hard about this past year. The rituals that we've had, like, graduations, birthdays, anniversary, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, all of those things have been altered. Even funerals. There's a ritual that we go through when we lose somebody that where 
where we have we gather friends and family together and we we hug and we, we, we laugh and we cry and we usually eat and we usually go to a graveside and we usually have some kind of closure. There's a ritual that comes with death in America. And we have, we have pulled that away from people. And, and it talked about this idea that one of the things that's hurting us as a culture is, the, is that we have removed or hindered people from having those rituals. And therefore, it's creating a whole issue of emotional issues with people that those rituals help people with. We've seen it here. We've watched the difference between how people have been able to get back into the ritual of coming into a building and being around each other and laughing and sharing requests and encouraging each other. And even that ritual has become healing in and of itself. And, and, and that's what we're talking about. When we talk about this idea of Christmas and you pull away from some of those things that you've normally done, or you say, I'm not going to celebrate. What I want to challenge you with this morning is to not celebrate Christmas in some way, shape, or form is to miss something that's at the core of Christmas. You have to find a way to do it. In this story, like I said, you see the youngest to the oldest. You, and, and you see people taking what they could, what they had, and figuring out a way to celebrate. John the Baptist, he's an, he's an unborn child in the womb. So what could he contribute? I can start kicking. The one thing I can do I can't yell, I can't yell, uh, scream, and holler. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can start kicking and punching and jumping around. I can do that because I'm going to celebrate the fact that Jesus is here now. I'm going to celebrate that. Mary, this poor woman who now is bearing a child and is unwed. Says, you know the one thing, I don't have a lot of money on it, but here's the one thing I can do. I can sing. So I'm going to write this incredible song. It's actually, a lot of it is based off of Hannah's, Hannah's song and Hannah's prayer. And I can do that. The angels, here's what we are good at. We know how to sing. And we are going to belt out something that's just going to rattle these shepherds to their bones. We can do that. The shepherds. <clears throat> outcasts of the day, socially distancing because they stunk. Uh, they lived with these sheep. They said, you know what? We can take time and go and check this thing out. We've got time. So we're going to go invest our time and figure this thing out, see this thing out. And then we, we tell everybody about it. Simeon, an old guy who can't do anything but wait to die and pray, says, God, I have one request. Let me see the Messiah before I die. And God lays it upon his heart, and that day he goes to the court, and here comes Mary and Joseph with this little baby, and it is the best day of his life. And he celebrates by praying to God. Anna, 
all she can do is bless God and bless this child and said, this is something I can do. And that's what she does. The wise men who've got lots of money and lots of resources come marching into town and say, we want to pay homage. We want to worship the king. We want to give some things to Jesus and Mary and Joseph. That's what we can do. Everybody in the Christmas story celebrates. Please don't go into this season with the idea of, because things are so bad, we're not going to celebrate this year. Find a way to celebrate. Maybe it's take your time and invest in somebody else. Maybe it's sing. Maybe it's pray. Maybe it's give to somebody that you know has a need that you can, re- that you can meet. Find a way to celebrate. Find a way to celebrate. Well, well I'm just, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm too young. Really? Younger than John the Baptist? Really? Well, I'm too old. <laughs> Come on. You're still here. You're still around. Well, you know, I just don't have a lot. You don't have money like the wise men. Okay, but so be like a shepherd. Invest your time. I'm afraid because of 2020, we're heading into this Christmas season and we're going to let our circumstances influence what is at the core of the Christmas story. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Find a way to celebrate. Does that mean that, 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 you know, things get canceled? Yeah, things are going to get canceled. Yeah, things are going to be different. But find a way to celebrate. Find a way to celebrate. That's my challenge to you. Because, you see, if there's no Christmas, then there's nothing to celebrate. And you go, well, you know, I mean, the world's got this thing so messed up and commercialized. Okay, I get that. That doesn't mean I can't celebrate the fact that my Savior was born. So as you head into Christmas, I end with this. If there are no Christmas, there's nothing to celebrate. Celebration is ingrained in the Christmas story. All of creation celebrates the Savior's birth, from the lowly shepherds to the highest angels. An unborn child celebrates... And an old man, Simeon, and an elderly widow, Anna, bless this miraculous child. Make this Christmas season a season of celebration. Because a Savior was born. Don't miss that this year. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, in spite of this year, sometimes it's easy to push this aside, to see it as just another holiday that... Lord, because we can't do the things that we used to do, we just want to skip or minimize. But Lord, we celebrate the fact that you came to this earth in order for us to have salvation. Please don't let us go through this season, Lord, and not celebrate. Please help each one of us, Lord, to figure out a way that we can honor and celebrate your birth. Because, Lord, you are the reason, you are the purpose for this whole season. And uh, don't let us fall into the trap of minimizing that. Thank you for all that this represents. And use us, Lord, as we head into the days 
ahead. These things we ask in your name.